Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Well, today is going to have a little different feel, but that's okay, and it's going to be good because God's got this under control, and, and what we're going to try to accomplish to get you to move from here to there. And, and so today we land the plane on this idea of be still. And be still is a huge, huge idea because over the last three, three weeks, we've allowed ourselves to become really, really familiar with this idea, that this idea that King David wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalms 46.10, where he specifically says, and if you know this by now, I want you to say it with me. What is it? Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I Come on, we can do just a little bit better than that. Be still and know that I am, yeah, be still and know. You know, the, the portion there that I think we struggle with the most is, is this word called know. I, I think we really just go down the road of, of like, do I really know? Do I really, really know? Or is it just the, the motion that we put thing in, you know, our, our, our tank for the week and, oh, it's God, you know. I can be still for a second or two. But then all of a sudden, we just don't really understand that passage to its capacity. You see, as simple as that verse is, it's one of the hardest things to achieve, isn't it? Because we can't sit still in the culture that we live in, in the environments that we stage, and, and especially we live in our current culture, especially because of all the digital devices that we have. I mean, let's just be honest. Most people have already checked their cell phone at least a half a dozen times this morning. And maybe even been pulled to some, your, your, your brackets, I don't know how you're doing, but I'm doing pretty well. I'm just being honest. I'm proud of my bracket. I've only missed one, y'all. Should have bet on that one anyways. Uh, but it's been good. You know, it's been good to just bask and be still. But these digital devices pull us away from things that are true. Over the last three weeks, we have learned how Jesus invites us into to, in a, in culture, at least to come to him for times of solitude, silence, to rest with him, and to be engaged with God. And for most of us, we're, we're, we are good at making excuses. And we say weird things like, I don't have time. And can I ask you a simple question? Who sets your schedule? More than likely, you do. And for when we say, I don't have time, that's just kind of awkward and weird to say that to God. I think we have to dive in a little bit deeper and we got to understand, peel back that layer or maybe start to get in shape with our heart where 1 Timothy 4, 7, where it says, train ourselves to be what? Godly. You know, it's no longer about physical stuff, but it literally, what about the, the, the training of the spiritual part? In other words, stop trying and start training Stop saying, oh, I'll do it next week. That's a try. Why don't you train yourself to start doing it today and see what happens? You see, week one, we challenge you to start somewhere. In the event of somewhere, we just maybe just three minutes a day, three, three, maybe, maybe even 30 seconds, but start somewhere, three minutes where you can engage, rest, or, or be still and know that he is God. And I know we went after this, but maybe even journaling or reading and maybe just sitting and spending a moment to listen to his voice. We too, we dove into how to connect with God through prayer because if it was good for Yahweh, it was good for my way. 
And as we close the door, like Jesus says, close the door behind us and prepare a way that can change everything by spending some intimate time with me. Week three, we focused on the fourth commandment last week. Remember that one? Remember to keep the what? Sabbath holy. And when we do that, when we do that, when we truly do that, we, we rest and we actually give God our best. When we really do that, we give God our best and it changes us from the inside out. And so today though, we're gonna land the plane by talking about something that I believe can change everything. And the reason why, if it, it forces us to make plans. It forces us to make plans and to take action and more importantly, to follow through. And when we do this, not only are we truly being still, but we are making disciples that make disciples all around us because they are watching us carefully. And some are like, I don't, I don't know if I want to make a disciple. Let me tell you something. You're making a disciple whether you know it or not. How you do X, Y, Z, people are watching you. And they're like, huh, that's how you do it. That's what a disciple maker is. And so when they see you pause and pray, guess what? Why are you doing that? I love the conversation that I was having with the guy on the, on the way up. And he recently got himself a motorcycle or a sickle or a Harley wannabe. And in those moments of, of clarity, he just said, you know, I'm going to name her Grace. And I was like, well, that's different. He goes, yeah. And so when a person asks me why that I've named it Grace, I get to share mine with him. See, he's been still enough to know something's changed. And that's all it takes, that one moment to be still for someone to ask, and he gets to share his faith. You see, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. And it might look a little bit different today, but that's by design. You see, for those who grew up in church, it truly depends on what type of church you grew up in and somewhat, you, you probably understand what communion is all about. You see, I grew up in a church where, where the leaders came forward at the very end. Typically, we sort of crammed it in at the very end. And they huddled around a table four times a year if I'm just being honest, when I was a kid, I thought there was a dead body laying underneath this big, huge cloth. I'm just being honest. But it just looked kind of awkward and out of place at the very, up, up there at the very beginning. And in some churches, man, you move that communion table, you have actually blasphemed against God. Anybody else grow up in a church like that? You know, it just, it's just kind of crazy. But then all of a sudden, they passed out these little, small, little things, and they came around with these little trays filled with these things. And these things. And it's interesting that, you know, in the midst of all that, they give you just a little bit of a cracker that would, it's enough to choke you, by the way. I mean, this thing will, and then you're just waiting for that juice to come, and there's not enough in there to even parch that, 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 that whatever that is, that saliva. You know, you're sitting there, the rest of the thing, and then all of a sudden you hear this. Anybody? I mean, come on, is it that true? I mean, how many, how many times do you hear that? And obviously, you, you hear all these little cups going back in. Yeah, I grew up in an environment like that. But it was good. And I actually rushed it a couple times. I remember, you know, I, I just wanted to take the communion. Most kids do. And if you grew up in the church that I did, you couldn't. You know, you get smacked. Don't touch it. Pass it over, and you just sit there, just watching it go by. <laughs> just trying to sniff it. <laughs> you know you did it. It's just weird because no one ever really sat down and explained it to you. It was just a thing. It was the rite of what? Passage. 
but yet we did it four times a year. And so I was just like, why don't we do it every week? Why don't, why? You know, I was asking all kinds of weird questions. I just didn't, didn't, understand, didn't understand it really. But then you go into other cultures, they take it every single Sunday, sort of loses its value sometimes. It's more of a, what, a ritual? And but when I was overseas, I remember my, my parents are here, and so was my sister and my mom was there with me when we did this. But man, we, we, we took communion at this church in Russia, and I was one of the first people to drink out of this big, huge goblet. I mean, it looked like something out of Harry Potter. But it was just, I mean, it was just full, you know, of juice, though I thought. And I was the first person to drink. And you ever seen like the St. Bernard and those little, you know, com- com- comics that back in the day he drank, he has that big thing and he sort of unthaws people that are frozen and their head just goes, and they, 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 okay, that was me when I drank that big goblet because he said, big Jason, big sin. And he kept on pouring it in my mouth. And I looked, turned around and I was lit in church, y'all, for the first time. <laughs> I turned around, looked at them. I said, that wasn't Welch's grape juice. And just sat down. Didn't even hear any of the sermon the rest of the time, man. My mouth was on fire. And so it was a weird, awkward moment because I didn't understand a lot of things. And I was kind of older. You know, communion was a significant part of growing up in a church. But no one ever really sat down and told me. They just read verses and acted like we were supposed to know. Didn't make any sense. You see, regardless of where you came from, what faith you were brought up in, what communion is and why we do it matters because we're still doing it today 2,000 years later around a table, around a place that's common. You see, if you dive in to understand the study of the Lord's Supper, it's a soul-stirring type of experience because of the depth of its meaning inside of it. You see, it was during the old age of the celebration of the Passover, of the eve of his death and 2,000 years ago that Jesus instituted this significant new fellowship meal that we observe still today. It is, an, it is a huge part of the Christian worship experience and it causes us to remember, it causes us to remember the Lord's death and resurrection and to look for his glorious return in the future. You see, the Passover was, was the most sacred feast in the Jewish religious year. And it was, it was commemorated the, the final plague of the Egyptians when the firstborn son of the Egyptians died. And the Israelites were spared because of the blood and the lamb was sprinkled over the doorpost that evening. You see, the, the lamb was then roasted and then eat, eaten and unleavened bread was, was taken. And God commanded what was throughout all the generations to come to the feast would be celebrated. You see, this story is recorded in Exodus chapter 12, and sometimes we just skim over it. But during the Last Supper, a Passover celebration, Jesus took a loaf of bread, much like that one right there, and he broke it. And he gave thanks to his disciples and said, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup saying, this is my cup, the new covenant blood, which is poured out for you. You can find this in Luke chapter 22. And he concluded the feast by singing a hymn in Matthew 26, 30. And they went out into the night in the Mount of Olives. 
And there, as predicted, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And the following day, Jesus was crucified. You see, the accounts of the Lord's Supper are found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And even the Apostle Paul wrote concerning the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. You see, Paul also takes it up a notch and he says a statement not found in the Gospels. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in the unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body of the blood of the Lord. You see, what he's really saying is this. Before partaking, before grabbing, before just chowing in, A man ought to, or a woman, ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup that God passed on to you. Because he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 1 Corinthians 11. You see, we may ask what it means to partake of the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. And it And it may mean to disregard the true meaning of the bread and the cup to forget the tremendous price of of Jesus that he paid for our salvation. Or it may mean to allow the ceremony to become a dead and formal ritual to to come to the Lord's Supper without unconfessed sins. I don't know. But in keeping with Paul's instructions, we should examine ourselves before eating with the bread and drinking the cup. Now, over the years, I believe we have done some amazing things in our culture, within churches. But just, if we can just look inwardly, and this is stepping on the toes of us. I believe we've done some pretty amazing things over the time that we've been around. Yet, if I'm honest, I think we've missed one. If I'm really just transparent, We've missed the Lord's Supper. We missed on this one. You see, when we first launched in 2012, we said we wanted to do things differently. That's why we say church made different. And my wife and I, we were talking and just, you know, we looked inwardly at ourselves and said, you know, this is what we do here and there. And we just feel like we're running around inside churches and we just didn't want that for us and our family. We wanted something a little bit more laser focused on Jesus. And I remember my wife and I, we really struggled. We struggled with that scripture and asking tough questions about what does this mean or or how do we even do this together? Will people even want to do this? Or do they just want a different type of music with lights and come as yard type of feeling just to have God make them feel better during the day? and go about your week, and then come back and do it again. We wanted more, and we started off with more, and we've gravitated back to things that you fall into. You go back to the things you know, right? You see, we desperately wanted to follow Jesus, and like he said in Mark 14, if you got your Bibles, this is where it's at. Highlight it up. Mark 14, verse 22, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take it. This is my body. Verse 23, he said, then he took a cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he, he gave it to them and they all drank it. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. But how do we do this? How do you intimately do this in a way that serves 100, 200, 300 people on a weekend? Doesn't it lose some meaning when we try to force it and cram it into a worship experience? Don't you want more? Do you think we maybe, maybe we've missed it in some aspect? What if it was not designed for church settings at all and the church just adopted it? I'm not saying get rid of it. I'd get kicked out faster than anything. But I am asking, what if it was designed for more? What if it was designed for something that can change lives, that change lives, that change lives? Maybe you're supposed to do it tomorrow where you work, live, and play. And you haven't figured out how to do that because you always rely on the pastor or the staff or other people to come and do it for us. Remember, Jesus sent his disciples out to do it. He showed them what it looks like and he sent them and they changed lives. I think when we live this way and we start to do this, I believe it's more like what God intended for us to live out around tables together. Because what I've realized is this, we are better together around tables, intimate groups of Christ followers. We can go further, faster when we're together around a table, all having one thing in common, which is his communion with him. But we gotta be still enough to do it. We gotta make time enough to do it. We gotta make time to sit at the table. And I don't want it to assume just because we take communion four times a year or every Sunday that we're good to go. That's foolish. I love what the Acts Church did and how it allowed the, the whole idea of taking communion to change their lives. Acts 2.42, it says this. If you want to highlight a verse and you want to highlight something, highlight this word. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. I don't know what you think about a word called devoted, but it means I'm all in. I'm going all in on one idea. And then they went from house to house to house to house and doing this because they didn't know anything else. They had been taught, and they, they, they just loved God in a way that they wanted to do this every place they went. They devoted themselves to the teachings and to the fellowship around a table and the breaking of bread and giving thanks. I know it would be awkward, but when Jesus put this into motion, he made it for something more. And the truth is, we are made for more. Yet we come in here ready and content just to sit in rows and be okay with it. Jesus said, take this bread and remember. Take this cup and remember. 
He said it because he did not want us to forget what he's about to do is great and can change everything. What if, what if we all did communion like this and went house to house to house, starting with our own? What would it look like if we just stopped with all, the, with all of our other things going on in our life and we focused on our, our tribes, our people groups, where we work, where we live, where we play. And just remember together and watch what happens when people start to ask questions and you start to share with them that changes life because you have the light of the world in you. To be still long enough around a table to see God move with our family, with our friends and those who we come in contact with. You see, last night, my, my daughter said something so significant. We have been running all week long. And she flat out just said, this is the first time we've sat around our table in a week. It feels good. We're too busy, guys. We can't even be still long enough to commune with our own families. How are we supposed to be sharing our faith with others? You see, communion allows us to go further faster with Jesus at the center of our lives because you have to strip away the things that's holding us back because you start to to pour out on a table what's hurting you on the inside. It allows you then to, to, to make a disciple because you start to share who Jesus is with you. You start to cry. You start to be vulnerable and you start to open up. That's what communion does. It's not just sitting in a row and taking it and passing it on. It's something so much more. And my question is, could it be just that simple to see what the church in Acts experience, where it says they grew daily? They grew in numbers that we cannot even fathom. You see, the way I grew up, it would be really easy just to take it, pass it on. And and honestly, to go and not to think about the rest of the week is just a part of the culture that we grew up in. It's become more more of a, if I can just use this word, a ritual in our culture. But when we do it this way, we struggle. We actually live and we grow. We follow him in a way that I believe changes our hearts. And when our hearts change, that actually causes a chain reaction and it changes the hearts of others. You see, Jesus said he was going to build his church. He was going to build his church. And the real question is for all of us, do we want to be a part of it? It's not just a new location. It's not just a loft on Main. It's not just something, whether it be in the park, the school, wherever it's at for us. It's so much more. It's in community with each other, surrounding a table and just pouring out to everything we have that's holding us back from experiencing his broken body and his cup, and remembering that he's coming back. 
You see, I just want us to stop attending and consuming and become a contributor in a way that changes lives. To really be the church and devote yourself to the teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But that only comes from being still. From being still. During the Last Supper, Jesus served his closest friends bread and wine, and it symbolized Jesus giving his body and his blood for our sins as they sat around a table. And today, Christ followers, we remember Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as we examine our lives, as we take part in communion in a way that allows you to do it around your table. Because in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26, it says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The first thing I'm gonna ask you to do, there's three, is I want you to examine and pray. There's no band, there's no music. It's just you and it's God. Take a moment to examine yourself. You can stare at this communion table. You can stare at what's about to happen and try to guess what's about to happen, but you're probably not going to see the curveball I'm about to throw. Take a moment to examine yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to show you any sin in your life and ask Jesus to forgive it. 1 Corinthians 11, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Number two, it says take, take and eat. Whether it be a loaf of bread or a cracker, whatever it is that represents the body of Christ, remember how his body was broken for our sins. While the disciples were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave thanks to his disciples by saying, take and eat. This is my body in Matthew 26, 26. Number three, it says take and drink. Third, drink the juice that represents the blood of Christ. Remember the new covenant or the promise that we can be free from all the sins Christ shed his blood for us. Then he took a cup and then when he had given thanks, he gave gave it to them by saying, drink it. All of you, all of you, this is my blood covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins Matthew 26 27 and 28 you see this is what I've come to the conclusion is this when we do communion this way we set the table for greater things to come how do I know that John 14 12 tells me that when we set the table for this greater things are to come Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going on to the Father. He is trying to unleash everything through you, but you have to move. You need to do this in your place where you call home. You need to do this where you work possibly where you play. And so up here, here in a minute, if you choose to, 
I would love for you to come and grab one, two, three, four, whatever you need to take to go do it in your home and start there. Or maybe it's to do it at your work and you just want to take communion with a friend. And if you really need to do it here today, here it is. Here's the bread. We'll break it. We'll set it here. And you may grab a piece and dip it in. But I don't want you to do it unless your heart's right. The table's here. It was designed for you. It was intimately designed for you. And I pray that you take this peace here. Just like he said, go and make disciples. Because that's what we're commanded to do. And when we do it this way, I think it changes lives. It changes lives. So I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to sing a song. And I want you to respond. Jesus, thank you for today. And I just pray favor over this table. I pray favor over this table for what's about to come and and what you're trying to do. God, may you just move in a way that just changes lives. Father, I'm asking that, that we see your Holy Spirit move in us and we feel confident in you to go do great things for you. With all the pieces that we have in our life, Lord, I'm just asking us for us to be still, to be still enough to know that you are God. And that you're still in the business of changing life, starting with our own. May we take this communion and go home with it, and it changes our house. May we be still enough to do this with our, with our families. Or maybe our friends. May we take four, five, six, ten and go do it with our teams at work or play. God, whatever it is, I just ask that, that you bless it and give favor over it as they go share their story. May they be bold. May they do this with the right heart birthed in love. In your name, amen.